Hi everyone, welcome to the Home Cinema Design Podcast. We've got a special guest with us today. I'd like to welcome Dr. Julian Scott from Display Calibration and from the PVA. Right, first things first, Julian, I thought PVA was a building adhesive, <laughs> but apparently not. Well, yeah, um, if, you, if you do a Google, you'll probably come up with all sorts of things, but um, Professional Video Alliance is what it actually stands for, and it is a progression from the THX um, video training course. Um, THX losing interest in that kind of thing after subsequent buyouts. Um, Fiona, who started THX, uh, Disney took it over, Razor, and then, then they eventually lost interest, so it just sort of evolved out of THX. I get it. So you're the, the guys who are doing that sort of work yep. under the THX banner and sort of going out on your own to exactly yeah. help with that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. So calibration. Um, ah. why, why would I need that in my cinema? Well, if you care at all about the artistic intent of the content that you're putting on a client's screen, then you should get it calibrated. Um, and one of, the, one of the things I like to stress is that we are presenting art movies tvs are an art form just as legitimate as painting or books or whatever and this is something i'm really keen on is that there is so much artistic um intent within production and post-production it can get lost when we deliver um in people's homes um to just leave a projector or a television and it's out of the box mode it's just it's, it's insufficient there are certain things you can do um, with the out-of-the-box modes in any projector CV to get things to closer to the artistic intent. But ultimately, you've got to get it calibrated with a meter, with some software, and with a pattern generator to actually to be able to deliver what, what the director intended. Yeah. So, for example, I don't know. I mean, I, I spent a lot of the last few years just watching Disney Pixar films because my little boy's that age. So we're talking the colour of Lightning McQueen's bonnet needs to be the right red yeah i mean you might not think it matters too much but actually it does because when you as i do work with creatives with colorists with directors of photography um i spend quite a lot of my time and the pva works a hell of a lot with colorists you see the degree of agonizing that goes into all these creative decisions how green should the grass look should it be less saturated more saturated with everything that you do in in creation side you are creating a narrative. You're telling a story. And colour is part and parcel of that. You know, imagine we have Schindler's List. Somebody made a decision, Spielberg, obviously, made a decision to have that in black and white. Mm-hmm. You look at then Transformers, probably not the best example of great art, but um, it's a particular look. You know, you have this ultra-saturated look. You you have sort of, sort of burnt orange skin tones. All of this is to create a certain uh, look. Now, imagine Transformers in black and white. It wouldn't really work. So colour is part of the narrative, a very important part. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, World War II, slightly washed out, sepia-toned. It wouldn't look... The, the film would feel entirely different if the colours were different. So colour is very, very important to communicating the story uh, within movies as well. So we've Oppenheimer. So, for example, uh, which I enjoyed over Christmas, there are sections of that where it goes into black and white obviously for a purpose um to distinguish the content of the that kind of court scene to the rest of the movie so um we've got to get the colors correct if we want to properly um communicate the art to our clients um so um that's why it's important yeah absolutely and i mean i've seen an experience this you know i put my place together in 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 october and in i think it was late december uh, uh-huh. over a year ago christian came down and calibrated according to pva methodology and it was very very mm-hmm. different the outcome i mean the other the other thing that i find just going from mm. out of the box kind of regular cinema mode on a on a sony um to post calibration two things became apparent firstly it's a bit duller which makes sense we touched on this during the myths episode where a calibrated display is almost always going to be a bit less bright than the display sort of firing it on, on all cylinders which is fair enough uh-huh. the secondly the sort of the difference mm-hmm. in I guess the sort of the three-dimensional feel and the way that kind of shapes appear. Um, not, not again, not necessarily great art, but we use Top Cut just as a before and after. Um, uh-huh. And yeah. 
The skin looked more real, but also, crucially, it just looked an awful lot more three-dimensional. So those are the sorts of things. Yeah, and I think part of the, part of the calibration process is also trying to optimise the display itself as well. You know, have you set black correctly? I did a calibration the other day where, you know, probably was the client, had raised the black floor, you know. Um, so he then squeezed his contrast range down by doing that. Um, have you optimised contrast? Have you, uh, you know, have you um, optimised your your ANSI contract, this is actually your room, you know, it goes onto the room itself because the room is a video component too. You can put the best projector in the world into a white room and it'll be awful. Yeah, 100%. So this is why, this is where installers come in to try and, you start with a certain level of contrast on the actual um, source itself and then you can ruin it just by the way you create your room, rooms. Oh, I get ragey. I mean, 15 years ago and I was a, a retail kiddie and a guy came came to me full of ideas and he wanted a bright white room and he said it's absolutely fine because all I need to do is add brightness in my projector and we just kind of looked yeah, at yeah. each other yeah uh, and it's really yeah. difficult because there's a customer at the end of this telling you that they need to do it exactly wrong and uh-huh. yeah the machine that we're creating it absolutely needs to work so dark walls seem in order and, and that's a difficult thing isn't it for installers because you have to go through a process of educating your client it's why this isn't a good idea and at the same time, obviously, you want the business. So uh, it's, there's a tension there, isn't there, you know, uh, which you've probably all, you'll, all been through and just guiding the client through that whole process of understanding this is what's going to make you, you know, give you the best picture or the best sound in your room. And it's really interesting. Um, you see on, on forums people posting up pictures of their sort of DIY rooms, um, you know, and, and, and uh, the ones that get the best plaudits are the ones that look good in the photograph. Black doesn't tend to photograph very well, does it? It's very hard to to take a photograph of a, of a, a black room, but that's the one that's going to give you the best video performance, of course. And I've kind of I've kind of compromised and hedged it for, for all for all of those reasons, where I've got very dark walls, but I've got light grey ceilings as a kind of well. I'm in the mid price. I'm in the kind of middle market. Uh-huh. I've kind of I've compromised it, but I didn't want to compromise it completely. Uh-huh. Yeah, like like you said, the best the best performing room is always going to be a black room, but. It doesn't sell itself very well when that's your demo room, does it? So this, it's, I mean, a cinema room is full of compromises. Yeah, yeah. And um, one thing I think we lack as an industry is sort of best practice when it comes to choosing and specifying the video stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and from the sounds of it, I know RP23 is happening, but that sounds like it's very much an ongoing discussion. So that's not... In process, yeah. In the meantime, while we wait, what's, what's your advice to, to us out there in terms of specking the right video stuff for our client wow that's that's really <laughs> that's a big one isn't it you've got five minutes dude am, am i gonna pee off <laughs> am i gonna pee off any manufacturers here i don't know uh, um i don't know for, for me for me um the most important criteria is contrast contrast is the range between which everything fits your black floor your white floor and we would all like to have an oled type range of contrast on our projection screen obviously we're talking about projection here and you know micro led may be something that comes in the future that gives us you know the best of both worlds but the present we're talking mainly aren't we we're talking projection yeah i think at the, at the moment only because micro led is priced out for most of the jobs we're looking at and because yeah, it yeah, creates yeah. another yeah. set of interesting problems around sound with the acoustics absolutely yeah, yeah. so for me contrast is most important and um black floor is critical to perception of contrast because when with there is you know we can talk about how bright should the image be and and that's something that RP23 is discussing in a minute do we target uh, Dolby's 108 nits um what's acceptable for on a kind of a lower range kind of room but you can keep on getting brighter and brighter and brighter and there's no limit but there is an absolute reference which is black it's always zero you know, it's like it's like freezing point on the on the center grid. It's always zero. If you go slightly above, then then what you're doing is you are reducing your perception of contrast. Everything is excuse the pun. Everything is contrasted to black. Everything's in reference to black, including white. Which is why some OLEDs, you know, they may not be able to sport you know 1500 nits of brightness like like a like a QLED does or um, some of the brand new MLE uh, LG panels. But they they've got a zero black floor. And so you can have an 800 nit OLED that has looks like it got amazing dynamic range because this black floor never shifts. But then you can get an 800 nit uh, LCD and the black floor's shifted because they can't hold onto black and the contrast just looks weak. 
So black is really, for me, fundamental to perception of contrast. And so um, if you're choosing a projector for a system or choosing or choosing the design of the room, try and protect the black floor as much as possible. So what are we... What what metrics are we are we looking? For? I mean, we've all pretty much got the same data to read on a data sheet of a projector, whatever the manufacturer. We don't have to sort of pick anybody out. What are, yeah. what are we looking for to to sort of give mm-hmm. us, you know, what 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 specifically we're we looking for? Well, there are two measurements of black. Um, well, contrast. You will have on off, which is your native contrast. So give the projector a zero percent signal, which is black. And how does that measure? And then give it 100% peak output. How does that measure? And then the difference between those is your on-off contrast. And if we're talking about that kind of metric, then the JVC projectors are the ones that usually will will win that fight. And DLP projectors, uh, as a different display technology, have uh, noticeably weaker native on-off contrast. Um, The other criteria that you could measure in terms of black within your theater is ANSI contrast. So this is where you're measuring a checkerboard pattern. You have white and black segments on the screen at the same time. Obviously, this is very much affected by the room. So you've got white on the screen that reflects off side walls and ceilings, gets back onto the screen and will wash out the black. So whether you're putting a DLP or um, a different technology, SXRD, Sony or DILA for for JVC, you're still going to want to have that great room to be able to preserve the contrast, whether it be ANSI or native. And so DLP projectors typically will have a higher ANSI contrast, the contrast in frame, um, because we never just have black on screen. We never just have white on screen. There's always going to be some mix of mix of the two. They will typically have that better ANSI contrast as well. Ideally, we'd have both. We'd love you know, something with OLED or plasma levels of blacks and DLP levels of, of ANSI contrast. And of course, People have preferences in terms of their display technology. You might be a DLP person that has certain attributes. We talked about ANSI contrast. You might be something somebody who likes uh, SXRD DILA uh, from Sony JVC, and they will give you more of the native contrast. Some some will have more, uh, you know, slightly less native, but more ANSI, and vice versa. So it's it's a, it's very difficult because there's no one product that does everything that we need. There's no perfect display. There's no perfect TV. There's no perfect projector um and and so it's hard for me to say yeah always buy this um but me personally i prefer a higher native contrast when i get those deep you know you know like sci-fi when i get space shots you're watching star wars i don't want gray space i'd like it to be black but ideally we'd have both yeah i think so you can have bulbs are bright they'll probably measure 108 nits um, but they've got no black floor to them, so you know, you know, it's it's almost. You know, I, I would veer towards the native, but I could understand why people like the ANSI contrast as well. Unfortunately, we don't have that perfect technology. I can't give you a definitive choice as to you know what to go for, but um, and of course, every room, customer, set of criteria, budget, space, yeah. everything is going to change a bit. Absolutely. I, and there's more to there's more to those different technologies than just mm. the contrast as well. That's for me that's really important the contrast. But but the other thing is, uh, for example, motion. People would say that DLP has a slightly better, it's slightly more responsive, so you might get more smooth motion. Sony's have had very good reputation for their motion processing as well. There are other criteria too, but I would always, me personally, begin with how de- how deep and dark are my blacks because. Everything is contrasted to black. Brilliant. Right, I've got another one. Um, can you sort of just walk us through gently um, the world of kind of video processing and tone mapping? Again, sorry, these are big questions, but um, if you if you were explaining it to to your mum, what would you say? God, um, she's eighty three. <laughs> uh, that would be a struggle. Fair enough. If you're explaining it to your young, your slightly younger, slightly cooler auntie, what would you say? Why do you need a video processor? Well, I would uh, if, if you've got a projector and you are trying to do let's let's say you know HDR. Yeah, it's it's really very very important. Um, first of all, no projector is truly HDR. I know the manufacturers will say it's an HDR projector, but none of them are. Mm. They're they're all really they're all really SDR projectors that we're trying to fit an HDR signal onto. Fair, um, and because HDR. Uh, is graded to a minimum of 1,000 nits. And um, 
you know, even at the 108 uh, Dolby um, uh, target, you're still 900 nits off yeah. what I would be seeing on a grading monitor, on an HDR grading monitor. So lots and lots of decisions are having to be made along the way as to how do we get this huge dynamic range onto this this display with a, a much, much smaller dynamic range. What has to give? Mm. Um, the first iterations of HDR projectors were truly appalling. Um, yeah. You know, I remember the, the first one I got, it was just so dark. You couldn't see anything. The SDR image was so much better than the HDR. I'm going to jump in with just an anecdote. Sorry. I've just moved to Bristol and foolishly, I turned up to the Bristol Hi-Fi show, which I used to work as a, as a, as a younger man, as a sales rep. And I was very excited because I think it probably was JVC and they were showing off the initial HDR projections. And someone had come along who obviously kind of got up in the morning and bought another video magazine and was having a proper argument with Larry from JVC, who was getting proper cross oh, yeah. about kind of HDR and sort of their implementation of it. And the guy was just picking holes in the whole thing. And the poor guy was just trying to tell us kind of normal people, relatively speaking, about it. And yeah, I just remember the images just being so fantastically underwhelming at that point. And obviously it's been nine years, a lot's gone on since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, things have things have been refined and evolved, and we've understood HDR. I remember going to trade shows for you know uh, pr- um, post production trade shows like IBC, um, where you know all the classes were about how do you grade an HDR. So you know everybody was you know trying to learn this new thing called HDR. Um, you know, and so mm-hmm. not just in custom install, but but in in the creative industry as well. Um, and we've got a much better handle on 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 how to do this now. And we have displays in in, in post production. Um, that we'll be able to do that thousand nits, and we, you know, I think Sony just brought out a new four thousand nit monitor as well. So the, the the intention is to get higher and higher um, in terms of that, which creates more problems for projectors because projectors have not changed in terms of their ability to reach that peak output. But their dynamic, what we're talking about is not just brightness; it's dynamic range. People forget they think that HDR is a brighter picture, and it may be slightly. Most of the extra dynamic range is for specular highlights. You give it an LG G3 or a G4 is going to, it's coming a, a full screen of white. You ain't going to get fifteen hundred nits. You're going to get two hundred. Um, so, um, how? And I think I understand specular highlights, but sort of for the listeners and in case I'm wrong as well, um, I see that as being kind of I don't know little bits of light glinting off a lake. That's exactly right. Yeah, or off a an SG yeah. caravan, that kind of thing. Those really, really tiny yeah. bright bits that exactly. you see when you're driving. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. They kind of stand out, and, and it's like you know, it's like pixie dust all over your. You know, it's like it's like an SD, SDR picture, great SDR picture, but you've sprinkled all these lovely sort of luminous bits all over it. It's never full screen. You can't do it. So when mm. when creatives are doing yeah. HDR, they have to be quite careful to not to overwhelm with the brightness because the the average picture level just falls like a stone. So uh, it's a challenge in creative uh, for for creatives. It's also a challenge for manufacturers uh, of, of TVs um, and but projectors in particular because we just don't have. You know, if you're lucky when you're delivering a room if you can get up to a hundred nits. Um, because you've got an acoustically transparent screen with a negative gain on there, so you're probably losing, you know, probably 0.7 or 0.8 gain. You've lost 20 or 30 percent of the light output of the display if you get it calibrated. You might lose a little bit more to get everything in balance. Um, and 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 you know, customers nowadays want bigger and bigger screens as well. So you're trying to you know paint more of a surface area with the same tin of paint. Yeah. And 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 so things get a little bit dimmer. So there's huge challenges for projection in, in putting HDR on screen, which is why video processors are really, really good because um, most projectors will come with a static tone map in them. So tone mapping is plan B. It's what my team Norwich don't have when we're in the Premier League. Some might say we don't even have plan, a plan A, but um, hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but the specifications for HDR simply state you must have 1,000 nits. That's it. There's no, and if you don't, this is what you need to do. Tone mapping is manufacturer's response effectively to um, non-compliant yep. displays. So how do we get a 1,000 nits on a 100-nit projector? We tone map. Uh, and those first iterations of tone mapping we just spoken about back in 2014 was like, okay, we'll just take a 1,000 nits and we'll scale it down to 100. 
So you've just reduced everything into the available dynamic range. You've reduced that dynamic range to that. And what happens then is because you're trying to keep all of those highlights, etc., the average picture level falls and everything's really dark and horrible. So, okay, let's refine this. Let's see where maybe we can follow the required brightness to a certain point. So we don't damage the, the average picture level. And then what we'll do is we'll we'll roll away and we'll we'll pull in and, and compress so that we don't lose all of the highlights. But so they'll be on screen. So it might be um like snow. There's a there's the famous Spears and Munsell horses in the blizzard, snow in the background. Not of that snow's nine hundred nits in the background. Um and earlier TVs, uh, for example, LG OLEDs would clip some of the highlights from the snow. Now, uh, so so you can retain those highlights if you like by pulling them into the available dynamic range of the display. So for the example of a uh, of an 800-nit uh, LG OLED uh, or any other OLED manufacturer, you're pulling them in uh, underneath into the 800-nit range. You're not then losing the snow that was at 900 nits. It's there, but it's not as bright as it ought to be. So you're pulling down and compressing. Now, where you decide to roll off and begin that compression process is is different from manufacturer to manufacturer so you can get you know we all know that most of the um manufacturers have until very recently been using all lg display panels so the same panel but you could get a sony lg panasonic philips tv put them side by side give them that that horses in snow scene and they'll all look different because tone mapping is not part of the specification it is it's you know an individual response by manufacturers and it's the same with tone mapping on projectors as well and the projectors are much less able to deal with those things than a tv because they don't have anywhere near like we were talking 800 nits we're talking 100 nits potentially so it's a really tricky thing to do on a projector now where a video processor comes in is that they can add dynamic tone mapping it's a bit of a misnomer because actual dynamic tone mapping is something that's embedded in the content so think about dolby vision dolby vision is where the criteria for each scene is embedded in a in the in the scene or by frame so we can say this is a dark scene you know the highest part the brightest part of this scene is 400 nits so if your tv like does you know 500 nits or 600 nits that's not a problem you've got everything you need already you don't have to do any tone mapping it can be put on screen just as it is and the dolby vision will 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 has that embedded within it um hdr10 which is by far is the common standard doesn't have that it's statically tone maps so at the beginning of the content it says you know i was created on a 1000 nit display or if you're mad max fury road i was 4000 nits you've got to have this and then the, the display looks at it and said oh that's a bit of a problem because i've only got this yep. and then it decides at the beginning of the content this is what i'm going to do to put this on screen and that's fixed for the whole movie regardless of the requirements of any individual scene whether it's a darker scene or a brighter scene which is where dolby vision can come in really handy because it's far more flexible. And that's, that's like metadata, right? That's kind of embedded within the... It's in the metadata. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So dynamic tone mapping, as it's found in video processes like MadVR or Lumigen, isn't Dolby Vision tone mapping. Neither of those video processes do Dolby Vision. Um, but what they are doing is kind of similar to the LG's OLED's dynamic tone mapping uh, facility, is they're looking, they're scanning incoming frames for criteria, um, within that frame brightness darkness etc they're doing extra extra work to scan the incoming frames and they're deciding on the hoof how should this be put on to screen because of that um your projector is uh w will greatly benefit from that processing that goes on within the, the video processor the other part to this is a video processor with hdr will be able to convert the hdr into an sdr range which is important for projectors because they fundamentally don't really have the range that hdr requires so it's at the, at the end of the day it's just light there's nothing special about hdr light you know it, it's just light it's 900 nits of light as opposed to 100 nits but if you can convert that into an sdr range then um you don't have to lose anything you're not going to get the specular highlights but you know if you look at a lumigen or a mad vr with the horse's seen from Spears and Munsell disc for example you'll see everything it's all there and it can look really good it's never going to look the same as a flat panel sure
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But we have to sort of re, re-educate ourselves as to what HDR might look like on a projector. It isn't going to look like a flat panel display because we don't have that range. But with a video processor, it can rescale it to the range that that projector can deal with and you don't have to lose anything. And because they've got this flexibility, uh, they can scan and don't know whether it's a dark scene or a bright scene or the rest of it. Stuff which isn't in your HDR10 metadata at the beginning because it doesn't have scene-by-scene data. It's able to put on screen the film or the TV program uh, and give you a much more satisfying result. Uh, so it does that. The other thing the video processors will give you is superior calibration controls. Oh, by the way, I should say back into terms of dynamic tone mapping, there is one, one manufacturer that does offer this um, within the projector, and that's JVC. So JVC um, alone at present, and it has been for a few years now, have given you dynamic tone mapping um, capability within their projectors. Um, and it's it's very good. So on a 1,000 nit material at the very least, I think it, it's, it's more challenged by, by 4,000 nit um, material, but... Um, but uh, it, it, it's you're getting that in a JVC uh, automatically, so that's set them slightly apart. Um, but nevertheless, you can add that to your other manufacturers with a video processor like a Lumigen or a MadVR, and um, they'll elevate any. It will ele- elevate those those devices will elevate any projector, particularly with HDR material. Yeah, it's one of the what it's one of a growing list of stuff that I would definitely love mm. to stick into mine as and when. Um, it's just that I'm out of money, little things. Yeah. Um, anyone from either of those manufacturers that needs to put one of those on a long lens? I'm no, sure I'm they'd not. love to. I've I've got a question then, Julian. Um, when and where or should or shouldn't we be using anamorphic lenses? There are good reasons why you might want to use one of those. There are consequences to using them as well geometric distortion is one one yeah. iteration that's become more and more popular is the vertical compression lens i think panamorph produced them um i think prismasonic might produce them as well we are losing a third of our brightness with black bars on cinemascope material because mm-hmm. you know the the image on the image that's coming to you is, is basically it's 1.78 to 116 by 9 and burnt into that are the black bars to maintain the aspect ratio of cinemascope material um, so if you have a cinemascope screen which is i'm a big advocate for and the reasons for that but if you have a cinemascope screen you are usually often sort of zooming out so your black bars are above and below your your screen the client will never see that it's sort of absorbed um into the fabric wrap um above and below the screen but you're still projecting those black bars mm-hmm. it's just you can't see them mm-hmm. now what a vertical compression lens will do will optically squeeze that uh, 1.781 image down to the shape of your scope screen so suddenly now all of that light is being focused on your screen so you're getting back the light that's being wasted on the black bars and then you would use either a video processor or most projectors will have the capability to rescale the content so people don't look like oompa loompas and you know they'll rescale it so everybody so it restores the original proportions but you've reclaimed a third of the light mm-hmm. so you can then sort of in your calculations um if you put a deep one of these vertical compression lenses you've suddenly got a third brighter projector if you can use one of those but it re- relies on you having a cinemascope screen doesn't work with a 16 by 9 screen yeah. the consequence to that is you'll get barrel distortion um, so you'll get the the image will sort of taper down on the corners or taper up on the bottom side of things. Um, so certain video processors will have geometry correction with them. Barco projectors, I think, have uh, have warp, a warp feature to be able to sort of correct for those kind of things. It is scaling, and every time you scale an image, you're going to lose a little bit in terms of resolution. So we always have to sort of trade off resolution versus scaling. Um, but, um, you know, it may be something you have to do because um, as soon as you see a straight line, if your client's a gamer um, or something like that, your HUD, your HUD, the HUD on their game is sort of bent um, or driving around the bend. Um, but that, so that's one of the one of the cuts. You get a gain a third of your brightness on those and then you will you will, you know, then have to trade off against the geometry. And try. I think I put lenses on probably 70 to 80 percent of my installs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, it'll give you a brighter picture. 
a number of customers want the speed, which sounds ridiculous, of changing from 16.9 to an anamorphic and not having to wait for it to move. That sounds really bad, doesn't it? Um, yeah. That's another, uh, we talked about video process. Another thing that video processor will do is that they will automate that process. So the minute if you have to yes. change aspect ratios, I mean, obviously we're getting more and more films now where there's a change in aspect ratio within the film. Top Gun's an example. And that can drive you bonkers. Yeah. Uh, if you've got a scope screen, yeah, it's not really a problem if you've got a 16 by 9 screen, but um, that's a real problem because you then have to lens shift within movie and it's, you know, it's, you've can't be doing that so video processor will allow you it will actually do that mm. without any lens shift going on and it's instant uh, oh, yeah. another appeal mm-hmm. to the video processor the other the other lens that you yeah. can use is more of a i'd say more of a short throw situation which is your horizontal expansion lens which will stretch the image optically by a third so you get a wider so if you're in a short throw situation you can then add one of these and it will stretch it out so you could have a bigger screen from a short throw distance. Um, I think Panamorph are, are, are calling it exactly that. They're short throw lens and they're producing them for Sony and JVC projectors. Um, there are probably other ones available out there as well. But um, So you can then have a larger screen from a short throw distance. The consequence to that is that everything then becomes like a bow tie. So the opposite to the barrel, you get the, the bow tie effect. Uh- Squeeze in the middle. Yes, the squeeze in the middle, and 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 it's wider the edges. And again, you know, um, if your client's a gamer, that could be irritating because um, you, yeah. you might have straight lines. If you remember the original Cinemascope yeah. logo from yeah, the 60s, yeah. it kind of yeah. looks like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> obviously I'm that old. No, hang on. Yeah. So the, so there are reasons why you might want to use those. The, the vertical compressions have become more unpopular because with HDR we want we do want a little bit we want some more brightness available to us. Um, and with screens becoming bigger, again, another reason why you might want to consider putting one of those in mm. is you can deliver um, a bigger screen with the same brightness um, if you include one of those um, one of those um, anamorphic lenses with it. But as I say, bear, bear in mind the consequence. Oh, that's, that's, that's one of my rage points as well, is that you absolutely, you, sometimes you walk into jobs and it's a very, very, very big screen and a very sort of midweight projector and the whole thing just looks you yeah, know, yeah, like a candle. It's just yeah. not bright enough. But one of the reasons why manufacturers great. have transitioned out from from lamps to lasers as a light source within within mm-hmm. the projector again is that um your if you if you've installed um this probably more the case a few years ago when lamps were, were prevalent everywhere is that you walk in and it's all been spec the room's been specced on the maximum capability of the projector you've probably gone to projector central you've typed in all the details oh yeah i'm going to achieve you know i'm going to achieve 50 nits or you know from from this and that's absolutely fine um for sdr i'm going to i'm going to achieve this and that's okay when the projector's brand new yeah but give it three four hundred hours and you've lost 20 percent of your light output suddenly the complaint your client is to complain of the image is too dim mm. so to transition to lasers it brings many benefits one of which obviously is the extra brightness that we can get from them so you can have a slightly larger screen or you know a brighter screen with with a more moderately sized screen cool that's um that was a lot that's brilliant um I had a, well, not not really a question, just an observation as well, because I mean, sometimes this comes up in the chat when we're kind of early doors with a client, and um, they've read a bit. Perhaps they've gone on somewhere like the AV forums, or perhaps they've kind of talked to their friends, and they're like, "Oh, but this telly's got this much brightness, and it's got this much extra, and it does this much HDR, and am I not better off with a telly, therefore, in my quote unquote cinema?" Um, and the way the way I like to think about it, and the way I kind of talk about it, is that. You know, the projected system is worse on every metric apart from the one that really matters in terms of immersion, which is scale. Um, what's your take on that? Absolutely. And and we mentioned scope screens as well before. Mm-hmm. TVs can't do scope properly. Yeah, yeah. You start with a hundred inch TV, but when you watch, you know, seventy percent of movies at least are are cinemascope. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you put that on, they've suddenly lost a third of their hundred inch TV. And I see this in forums all the time, people raging, because why do they still make movies with black bars on them? Actually, they don't make them with the black bars. They make. They have to put the black bars on to fit it onto your your TV to maintain. But actually, uh, scope is, you know, it gives you that wide vista of view. It's so much, you know, I just love it as an art form. It's it's, 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 it's awesome. Um, 
Uh, you'll find creative, obviously aspect ratio is a creative choice as well. So directors will use a different aspect ratio for different purposes. Uh, they're not trying to irritate you. They're trying to That's tell a story. To create, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah trying to sell a story um, by by doing this. So to 16 by 9 or 178 to 1, 1.84 to 1 will be more sort of your, I don't know, rom-coms. You wouldn't expect a, a widescreen, you know, a cinemascope rom-com but you would expect Gladiator. You would expect some great spectacle of a movie to be in this wide, um, this wide aspect ratio. Um, yeah. So um, it's like you buy a painting; you don't complain that it doesn't fit in your frame. Yeah, paintings come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Don't they? You know, and the artist yeah. is 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 choosing that size for their purpose, what they want to tell you. Mm. So um, the other thing about you know, a TV, TVs, I spent a lot of time calibrating TVs as well, and and flat panels within post production. They'll all have some client monitor, which is usually in addition to the in addition to the grading monitor. They'll have a client monitor, which is usually a consumer panel, something like an LG OLED or whatever you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, seventy-seven inches, something like that. So the whole creative team can sit and watch it because um, they can't all cram around a twenty-two inch monitor. Yeah, like you have an Auratone in a in a sound studio, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so um, those 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 flat panels and projection systems are within post production studios too. But theatrically, at least at present, everything is, if you go to the cinema, you're not watching a television, you're watching a projection, mm. projected image. And for me, it's very much, it just, I see the projected image, maybe it's because we're just old farts. Maybe we've not been used to, we're not growing up watching everything on our iPhones, um, you know, uh, but but it's like vinyl. I don't know. It, it's, you know, um, we... It's a wonderful experience, isn't it? Sat there, great big screen in front of you. Yeah, I've I've spent a bit of time looking at, at these new micro LED panels, and and I, I'm I can't make my mind up whether I'm a fan or not. Yeah, forget the audio and the install and the heat potentially with some of them. Mm. Put all that to one side. And the price of a house, you know. <laughs> yeah, mm. just I don't know. I can't make my mind up. I don't think we've. It's too early to make a decision on it. I think or make your mind up on it as a technology. Um, but I still think, for me, a massive scope screen in front of you is your create. If, if we're talking about a dedicated room, I think that's what. For me, it's it's forget the LED lighting in the room, sorry, Owen. Forget what paneling we've done the room. And when you see that massive white screen on the front of the room, that's, that's the bit I always look at first when I walk into a room. Mm. Always. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah. No, it, 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 for me projection just it stinks of cinema mm-hmm. very good uh, and maybe that's nostalgic maybe you know it's because we all grew up in a time when you know we didn't have these flat panels you know you go home and you'd have a four by three crt sitting there in the corner of your room it was never very big i remember getting my first 20 it was a 28 inch crt yeah, yeah, yeah. i thought oh yeah i finally got a big tv and it was certainly heavy to carry but and then and then i put bond on and it was two three five to one i thought where's, it all where's, gone? where's the where's it all gone? <laughs> it's like um, totally. So yeah, there's something very analog and cinematic about projection, which I love. It doesn't, as you write on the all the metrics, the specs, con, you know, doesn't have infinite contrast. The rest of it, you know, the the flat panel beats it. But in terms of the cinematic experience, yeah, I can't. You can't beat uh, a projection screen. So I think I've got one last thing to ask of you, Julian. So my my video knowledge is is not brilliant. So where can I go to improve? What do you recommend? Be it reading, be it courses, be it EVA, blah blah. Talk talk me through. So what we don't we not to turn you into Julian, but just to sort of make you better. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Very yeah. Good. Exactly that. So I can help you, Julian, when you come and, and maybe do a calibration in my room that I've done all the right bits to get that as good for you to come and calibrate. When it, And I'm assuming that your calibration really ought to be like what Owen and I would do in an audio calibration. It's the icing on the cake. It's, you know, it is finishing it off. It, it's it's not fixing. Exactly. You know, um, I, I we go back to one of the earlier conversations, but, but um, I remember... Um, after I just began as a, a calibrator, you know, quite a while ago now, but it was an install uh, that I went to. I don't remember who it was, but um, it was a perfectly white room. <laughs> um, and the installer said to me, and of course we put a JVC in because it's got the blessed blacks. God. 
uh, and it set my brain into into it. Yeah, well, it did have. <laughs> it's like what <laughs> until it went in the white what? room. Um, what calibration can't do, and it's the same with the acoustics, isn't it? What you can't, you can put the best speakers in the world, whatever they may be. But it's all by fault. Yeah. I'll let you guys argue about that. <laughs> but you can put those into a tin can. It'd be a big tin can. You can put them in a bad, you know, in an acoustically terrible place, and they're going to sound bad. Conservatory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to sound bad. But it's the same with video as well, is that the room is a video component. It's as much a part of your video system as the projector itself. So that's, you know, calibration can't save that. Mm. Uh, so assuming that you, you guys have done a great job in sort of building the room, that gives us the best platform to deliver the artistic intent. So we can calibrate the display. We can get it completely faithful to, to the director's intent. And your client is going to enjoy um, their films as, as if Spielberg is sitting next to them and... and, and He's going to enjoy watching his own film. Actually, one of the reasons why um, George Lucas began THX was because, you know, at the time of Empire Strikes Back, he went to see see how it was being presented, and he was appalled by some of the cinemas. So, you know, it was about raising the theatrical performance. And in the same way, the PVA um, does the same thing. We're advocating for standards within production and post-production and with also with custom install and and high-end cinemas that you guys are, are putting in there as well but also deemed down to the sort of the, the, the people from av forums for example that want their tvs uh, calibrated we're all on the same page where we want to deliver the best theatrical experience possible um whatever our budget may be whether it's a you know a thousand pound oled or a hundred two hundred thousand pound room we're after that same thing. We're all we're all little kids wanting to just enjoy the the, the cinematic experience. So the PVA um, trains calibrators, mm-hmm. um, but for the average custom installer, that's probably not something you're going to want to do because the equipment that we have to carry around nowadays is at least twenty thousand pounds. So as audio calibrators, you guys can pick up a Trinov mic. You know, fairly simply, you can go on a few courses, CD yeah. or Trinov or whatever else. Um, do Dirac um, and that's much more affordable it's much more presentable I think getting into video calibration I was lucky to get in it when I did um, because the 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 um, the level of, of, of equipment required was 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 not as what we have to have now lasers um, things with narrow spectral power distributions require expensive spectros so my spectros are jetty 1511 which is at least 11, eight and a half grand um, so um uh, so you might not want to become a calibrator, but certainly having a grasp on the fundamentals is very, very important. Um, we talk about these on the AV Forums podcast quite a lot. Uh, we want to convey that to the AV Forums people. The same things apply to uh, custom installers as well. There are certain things you can do um, out of the box before I turn up, which is you know, if, it's, if the display's got filmmaker mode, put it in that. The JVC projectors, I think they, they certainly have them now. I think they may be unique in having that. But there is always a most calib- most accurate mode in any projector, whether that's a Sony. You might want to choose reference mode for that if you're using a Sony projector. There's knowing the product that you're working with, knowing the best out-of-the-box modes or the most accurate out-of-the-box modes you can use is important. You can also use a basic setup disc like Spears and Munsell to set brightness and contrast accurately. Though, have, though actually speaking in favor of the manufacturers nowadays, that they're pretty 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 close to those out of the box they do that pretty well um very rarely do you on uh, sony or jbc have to deviate from from too much from what's at, what's in the box but having a disc like that tell you what i think 40 quid spears and munsell 50 quid something like that um so get one of those you can set black levels set set brightness mm-hmm. uh, there are certain things you can do i think as pva um we uh would be i think I think we we might be interested in running some sort of lower level course for installers to give you vital information uh, as to what to do. Um, it would just be a day, something like. She could be like an associate. Yeah. I was going. Yeah. I was about to suggest that. That's a good idea. I think there'll be um, take up on that. Yeah, you could maybe even work some do something on Zoom. Although I mean, I love getting together with people, having hands on experience, getting a disc, setting black level, setting contrast, having different manufacturers there so you know how to deal with a jvc or a sony or a barker or whatever whatever project you're installing having hands-on experience and certainly 
one of the things we really try and do with PVA training is get as many displays as possible within our rooms mm. and having uh, maybe pairs of people working on a monitor so you're not there's not like a dozen people trying to grab the remote control and you know so you can you, you get a quick go but that's all um just getting some good hands-on experience with different brands um and and so knowing what you're basically doing so you may not invest you may not be in the equipment you may not become uh, a video calibrator yourself but um you're comfortable with a basic setup on whatever project you're doing so there may be something we could look at at the pva look at doing um i know av forums have spoken about doing a similar thing so maybe we could tie both both events uh, together that'll be fun yeah. we'll get a load of custom installers <laughs> and a load of av forums guys in one room talking to each other that could go interestingly yeah <laughs> god fight 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 <laughs> it's very much like speakers isn't it i think i think um first of all we look at the numbers and and see that this particular product's going to give us our brightness, our ratios, whatever it might be. But ultimately, we've got to see the thing. We've got to put some some content through it in a scenario that that you're used to seeing it, you know, in and, and actually play and watch it mm-hmm. to see what you think of it. Because although it might be bright, although it might have our our black levels and, and white levels where we need them, it might be really juddery, and you just think, oh, mm-hmm. I don't like that. So I think so. We've got to be going around to our suppliers and watching these things, haven't we? Yeah, maybe there may be something we can organise with one of the distributors um, to to run this kind of day. CD are probably you know, CD are no doubt offer a, a, something that that we could work with mm. with CD to to do. But just basic a basic level of you know, and, and this is what actually when I when I did the THX training course back in the day. Um, we had a room full. It was held out at JVC uh, back then, and um, and there were, the, the the room was absolutely full. So there's a big demand for it, and, I, and I'm still friends with a lot of the, the the installers I met on 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 that on that first day of the course. And you could do the whole week, or you could just do the first day. And a lot of those custom installers um, only attended the first day. They weren't interested in becoming video calibrators, but we went through some of these basics uh, that we just spoken about. And you know, a few of them have said to me. I knew enough from that first day to know that video calibration is important and that I can do certain things to set up the system mm-hmm. from the very beginning to to, to, to to be as optimized as possible without calibration. But I also learned enough to know that, that um, um, it's not for me because as an installer, I have got so many other things I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I would rather hire somebody like yourself, but I can at least give until I can leave my projector until you come in as... Uh, optimized uh, a position as possible so um and i think that's the important bit for us us you know designers integrators installers is mm-hmm. is that 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 you know we've got to put in the right kit for and and i think anybody that's putting a room in i don't know i'm not going to put a cost to it but you know a decent quality cinema room is going to have a spend level yeah. that requires your projector mm-hmm. to be calibrated at end of i think that's really hard to argue otherwise and then the big battle that I, I I guess I used to do, you know, going back ten years plus, um, I think with video as with as with audio, is just that people underspecify, and I have every sympathy with this because you've met a client and they're lovely, but they've got certain ideas in their head around it's this big, I want a screen this big, I want this much sound, and you run the numbers and you think, well, it can't be done, but I want to give you something because I need the yep. order, and I have sympathy yep. with that, but it's just that we must. Mm. I think I'd also say about video and audio calibration yep. is as a to- as a proportion of the total cost of any room, it's minuscule. Yep. You know, you're talking a few hundred pounds um, on a hundred grand room or a two hundred grand room or even on a fifty grand room. I know there's there's pressures on everybody. Mm-hmm. Clients will shop around. Um, you've probably had all experiences of that. They'll you know people you know they'll get the kit list from you and then they'll go to Richer Sounds or something and try and put it together themselves. See, I, I understand exactly what you've just said. Um, about the, the 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 pressure to deliver a room and to um, you know that that client is is you know I've got twenty grand. Can you be, can you build me a cinema room? Probably if it's small. <laughs> no, it's going to be crap. But no, no, I'm saying no. So it's not going to be crap. Um, there's something for everybody. Let's put it that way. There's, there's a level of product for everybody. Yeah. But if you're buying a, you know, an eight hundred pound Optoma, it's not going to give you the same experience as um, as a you know. A four thousand pound Epson, or a, you know, 
a nine thousand pound JVC or a whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is, there is. You can scale these things up and down, but um, but but sometimes clients think that um, you can achieve the world, um, or you can buy the world for a penny, and um, they you know, have to understand, you know, what level they're shopping and start how it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And funnily enough, actually, as I've started to, to roll it into jobs, it's never been questioned. You know, this is this is a thing that you need to do at the end. It's not even me doing it. Uh-huh. It's worth every penny. It's transformative. Yeah. I'm not going to make you buy it, but I think you should have yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Well, I've just had all yeses on that because, of course. I have to say, one of the misconceptions that people have with electronics is that they all work perfectly out the box. <laughs> um, you know, or, or that, well, why isn't the TV or why isn't the projector calibrated in the factory? And clients don't quite understand that. It's like saying, well, I bought this Steinway piano. You're telling me it needs tuning? Mm. It's like, well, yeah. Well, I mean, no self musician would turn up to the orchestra uh, and not tune the, you know, you hear them, you know, before they start playing. You know, they're all you know, doing their own thing to tune their instruments, et cetera. Um, it, it's ex- I've got a very high-end electric guitar and I occasionally tune it every other year, you know, so <laughs> whether it needs it or not. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There's always a list of compromises in a room. And then we start going through the budget. Obviously, that's always the biggest compromise. So then we've got to work through our, our, our potential quote and how to get it back into budget, let's say. And there's things in there that I don't want to compromise on. Calibration is, isn't one that I'll say to customer, look, let's, let's look elsewhere before we get mm-hmm. into that. Because that's, mm-hmm. you know, in my list of compromises, calibration's up the top. Doesn't doesn't get touched. Let's, let's. Yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. Because it can make some, it can make a, you know, yeah. audio or video makes a profound difference. Brilliant! I think that's loads. I think that's amazing. I think we've done another decently long one just to sort of scratch the surface of a, of a massive topic. Yeah, Julian, um, where can we find out more? Can you tell me? Um, does the PVA have a website? We do. I can't. Re- I can't remember what it is. It's PVA. Um, we'll put a link up. It's okay. Yeah. Um, okay. And what's your one? Uh, DisplayCalibration.co.uk. Perfect. Thank yep. you ever so much, Dr. Julian Scott. We've been the uh, fantastic the Home Cinema Design Podcast again. Lovely. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thank you, guys. Take care.